Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I am an exercise physiologist, and I'm a licensed nutritionist, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. Yeah, this is Bill Stevens. I run Strength Yield. I'm a powerlifter. I've dabbled in Highland Games, a bunch of other stuff. I've got to meet here in a few weeks out on the West Coast. Nice. This is Dr. Mike Nelson. I'm a faculty member at the Kerrig Institute, uh, creator of the Flex Diet Certification. And I'm in Anaheim, California here, getting ready to present for the NSCA uh, Personal Trainers Conference in a couple hours. Cool. Yeah. Uh, John Mike's out there too, right? Yeah, he's out here too. We saw him last night and we had two dinners last night. We had the, oh. <laughs> the speaker dinner and we were still hungry, so we walked across the street and had more uh, protein at Morton's Steakhouse. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> Did they underfeed you or are you just too big to be satisfied? Uh, they had this bacon that they were raving about. So I'm like, well, I'll go over and get the side of bacon. And it was like super, well, it was like a, they called it a bacon steak. So it's like oh. new ski bacon that's with like glaze and maple syrup and all sorts of craziness. Awesome. It was good. All right, I'll tell you what. Uh, before I get to four listener mails that are sort of interwoven with some science, Phil, you're going to compete. Let's let's get an update from you. Like, what's happening yeah. with you? What, what are you thinking? How are you feeling? That kind of stuff. Strength and muscle sport news. Well, I feel good. You know, I feel good. Um, we are what it's. I got to hit openers this weekend and next weekend, and that's it. So, um, no, everything's feeling good. So we'll see. I'll go in there today and hit openers. I'm thinking about raising my opener. Um, That's good. I had a long last night, so we'll see how it goes. <laughs> but uh, um, nah, I mean, my my plan for this meet is to come out whole. So don't break anything. But yeah, I'm feeling now, so. Um, the only thing I could find, I was searching the internet for uh, biggest squats. By someone with a hip replacement in a meet, and the only thing I can find <laughs> is Ed Cone. So Ed did a uh, six sixty. So my plan is to beat that with my second attempt. Oh, um, nice! And then I, I want seven hundred. So if I can squat seven hundred on a fake hip, that, I'd be totally stoked. Wow! Um, yeah, it's like a new category. No, that's cool. Who the uh, hip replacement world record? I have no clue. They don't. Like somebody was asking me, I was like, they don't, they don't track that. (laughs) (laughs) The old guys with the fake hips. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, old guy with fake hip record. Still, uh, picture all the orthos listening, just losing their mind, cringing. (laughs) Yeah, so breaking new ground. Yeah, I think I can get a. The goal is a seven hundred squat and seven hundred deadlift. So, um, that's big. We'll see. We need to um, we need to play that up. Like, if you do squat more than Ed. Um, <laughs> we need to get some, I don't know, publicity value out of that. Like <laughs> Phil Stevens in a, you know, ongoing battle, you know, battle of the old guys with, with Ed Cohn himself. Well, funny is, I think he might be the head judge. So, uh, <laughs> so oh, that's funny. In Ed's defense, he did it really easily. So uh, it looked, it looked like oh. he was toying. Okay. So it wasn't hard. Okay. okay. Well, yeah. And you know what, too? This would be sad, except these are numbers that are better than most people with real hips could do. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> better than me. So, yeah, so, that, yeah, so it's, that's what makes it so fun, right? Because it's actually better than like 99% of the people could do anyway. Anyway, yeah. it's funny. Okay. Um, four bits of mail today. And then our topic is going to be breaking into fitness and nutrition writing. Uh, We'll try to get a, some answers from the hosts and from um, – we have a guest on, Dr. Cordero, uh, who is a, actually a writing professor. So uh, we're all in the fitness and nutrition worlds, but, you know, we're not, we're not English professors. So I thought, let's, let's go to the source and get something juicy. So in any case, 
let's start with these mails. This first one is from Aaron. He says, hey, guys, thanks so much uh, on that information. He had asked us about some neurological things. Uh, I couldn't spell any of it, but I'm trying to put it to good use and doing some of my own research. I'm wondering if I throw together a presentation for a case study uh, that maybe Dr. James Andrews may take an interest in uh, for, let's see, along with some other formidable neurologists. Is there any way you could send me the link or article that you guys were talking about regarding neuronal injuries and any word back from those physical therapists? Thanks so much. A donation is on the way. God bless. So thanks, Aaron. Yes, actually, I did just hear from the physical therapist that I'd asked about Herb's palsy. Here's what she said. Uh, She seems to be focusing on that this is a pediatric condition. Um, I did send your numbers, right? And if anybody didn't listen when we were discussing this on air, Aaron has some good numbers. I mean, really, you know, solid powerlifting numbers in like the, you know, 300-ish, 400-plus range. And so clearly he's not 12 (laughs) years old. But uh, here's what uh, the, the PT Cheryl said. Uh, Hi, Lonnie. In pediatrics, the emphasis is still strength training. Again, we're talking about brachial plexus problems. We use kid-friendly pediatric cuff weights, matched resistance TheraBand, and manual resistance. Uh, I've done hands-on to guide relearning or learning of movement patterns. I've always used proprioception with kids. Uh, That helps my input uh, emphasize and guide their output and learning. Uh, if the kids can tolerate it, I use e-stim as an adjunct therapy. Uh, external rotation is the hardest motion to get back with Herb's palsy. Um, it's been three years since I've been in the clinic, though. It's possible there are some neuro advances that I'm not aware of. I hope this helps, Cheryl. So that's all I've got, Erin. That's what she said. And like I said, she seems to be really focusing on the pediatric nature of this. Uh, so hopefully that offers some further insight. Okay, next. Karen sent us something. Karen's a longtime listener. I always appreciate when she sends stuff because she really understands. She knows where to go get uh, peer-reviewed science. You know, it really, her emails are mostly like, so what is your take on this, right? So it's more like a conversation than something um, tutorial. But she says, I've lately been interested in joint pain supplements and associated research. Here's a couple interesting ones I found recently that I haven't heard you guys talk about. So I'm just gonna jump to the, um, the bottom here. The one I'm most interested in lately is the one with, of course, the least amount of write-up, which is stinging nettle. Uh, Urtica diosia or dioica? I don't even yeah. know how to pronounce that. Uh, yeah, I thought, Mike, maybe you had some input, but she last up, she says, a lot of research on it is from small, offbeat, questionable journals however, and mostly they focus on supposed prostate slash allergy benefits. However, I've been drinking the tea lately and I've noticed a marked difference in my joint pain. Also, the tea has a pleasant, mild green hay taste. So I recommend it if you ever get a chance to try it out. Karen, hmm. uh, what do you know, Mike? Anything about uh, stinging nettle? Not, not too much on that for joint stuff. I mean, there's some stuff that it, you know, in theory may help with testosterone, but uh, I've not been overly impressed with that data, possibly, and there's not much data on that. But um, no, I haven't heard of too much on on joint stuff. But maybe it's somehow modifying inflammation or something like that. No, and yeah, that's correct. Sounds uh, like it's working. So yeah, she did send. Uh, here's a paper: cytokine secretion in whole blood of healthy subjects following oral administration of urtica dioica. Dioica. It's so hard to figure that one out. They get they, here's what she sent: uh, twenty healthy volunteers ingested it for twenty one days, two capsules twice a day. Uh, again, nettle leaf extract. They looked at interleukin one beta and IL six. So you're correct, sir. In mm. Inflammation after seven and twenty one days ingestion. Now this is where it's it's just a little odd. It's ex vivos, you know. So they take some, uh, mm. they take. Uh, blood sample, for example, they stimulate it with LPS or something, and then they, they look at how hyperreactive it is. And it did, uh, let's see, decrease tumor necrosis factor alpha, uh, 14 to 24%. It, it decreased IL-1 beta, uh, 19 to 39%. 
So it did look like it was reducing inflammatory cytokines. Uh, but again, the, even the, the conclusion in this journal, and this is a German journal, so it's Tucher et al, T-E-U-C-H-E-R. All right, here it goes. I don't know if you guys know German. Ars Nimittelforschung <laughs> is the oh, title yeah. of the journal. <laughs> so um, anyway, even they said there seems to be some um, suggestions, uh, but also there may be different bioavailabilities and some other issues with it. So um, uh, you know what? My joints are pretty shot these days. So uh, hey, I, I'm up for it. I'll give it a shot, Karen. Um, and then I'll, I'll let you know. So stinging nettle for joints, perhaps. Mm. Yeah, the two things I've used that seem to help the most are, um, one of them is collagen. Um, but the study done by Keith Barr's lab, he's out in California here. And it gave uh, subjects actually gelatin and a small amount of vitamin C. And then they looked to see where all those amino acids went, right? Because if you go back in the day, like, Collagen used to be considered a not so good protein because it doesn't really spike muscle protein synthesis that much. It used to be a filler in bars for mouthfeel and all kinds oh, of stuff. Oh, it still is actually, um, yeah. Yeah, it still is. Um, but now, you know, bone broth is real popular and all that kind of stuff. But what they showed was that it you had to take it about 40 to 60 minutes before some type of loading or exercise to have an effect you took it after, it didn't seem to have <clears throat> an effect on the soft tissue. Um, so that may be one method. And then uh, another one I've used is a couple other ones I've used. I know our, our buddy Sean Casey has one that I've used that's been pretty good. And then another one called uh, Actus Statin. Uh, it originally came out as an uh, equine supplement for horse racing. And what's interesting about that is that those people don't care much about money per se. And they time everything. And you know, horses are less likely to have a placebo effect because they don't really know what they're eating or not eating. Um, so I've used that one a fair amount in the past, and that seems to help too. No, that makes sense to me, the um, the workout as a stimulant, right? Because of the – if you think yeah. about like uh, cartilage in your joints because it's not highly vascularized, you'd have to get a little bit of like pressure or differentials and kind of mush it around, you know, maybe get the fluids flowing in there. Uh, deposit the amino acids or something i don't know yeah yeah and that's one of the coolest studies i think i've seen this this past year and because there was some data before that in uh, animal models but uh that was the first human model to show that maybe in theory we can then speed up all that soft tissue turnover right because muscle is about 90 day turnover so if you look at your right bicep that'll be all kind of replaced in about 90 days but soft tissue is closer to about nine months so i think anything you can do to to speed up that, that that may help too. And you know, granted, joint pain could be from a, a whole host of stuff, but yeah. you know, a lot of people tend to have more soft tissue injuries also. Right on. Yep. Okay, the next two, we have two, and they're sort of lengthy. They're both from uh, different um, guys named Neil. So Neil number one, and you know who you are. <laughs> um, good morning. I figured it out, and I got my donation in despite your email. Uh, I'm quite stubborn. Uh, and just to follow up, I told him, he, he mentioned that he was a student. And I said, listen, if you're a broke student, we don't, don't send us money. <laughs> but um, anyway, he he did anyway, he, he stand up guy. So anyway, he says, let's see, don't worry about it. I'm not an average student. I'm a 30 year old law student. Um, anyway, so uh, he finished his undergrad uh, years ago and that sort of thing. So anyway, let's see. I had a show idea that I don't think has been done yet, natural insulin sensitivity uh, and insulin production. Uh, I've read a lot about fasting, cinnamon, alpha lipoic acid, chromium, etc. I think it'd be interesting to hear you guys talk about it, uh, just an idea. It might take a lot of prep work. Well, I can preface this right off the bat by saying, you know, a lot of this stuff has been trends in the industry and this doesn't mean we won't address this but almost any phytochemical has some evidence that it helps with glucose metabolism <laughs> it's it's yeah. almost ridiculous you know and and cinnamon has some it sure does uh in fact there are certain cinnamon related phytochemicals in coffee itself but um as far as like alpha lipoic acid chromium i mean you could add vanadium to this list magnesium there's a lot of minerals, and you have to be careful because some of them, they look like they work in diabetics. 
uh, and I'm drawing on some longer-term memory here, but that doesn't mean that they're going to help with glycogen deposition in an athlete or help you shuttle more of the carbohydrates you consume into uh, glycogen stores rather than lipogenesis or fat, which is arguably not that big a deal anyway. But anyway, um, yeah, uh, I mean, muscle contractions are probably the single biggest thing that you could focus on, which most of our listeners already do as far as getting glucose where it should go, you know, into uh, muscle mass. Um, but any quick thoughts, uh, Mike, uh, cinnamon, um, you know, yeah, minerals. there's some, like you said, there's some good data on that. You know, a lot of the chromium data is in, uh, diabetics who may be missing that in their diet to begin with. Or excreting right? so, it. Yeah. They excrete right, some of these. Yeah. Right. It's not being absorbed. So adding that to someone who has plenty of it already, nah, probably not a huge effect. Um, I haven't looked for a while, but a couple of years ago, I looked at a lot of the common glucose disposal agents and yeah i was kind of unimpressed overall and if you've looked at actual live uh, glucose and insulin data it's really messy it's really pulsatile it really depends on when you're capturing it how often you're capturing it and what population you're looking at so maybe i mean like you said i think you know, muscle movement is probably going to be the best. I've done a lot of work with looking at heart rate variability and have people just do uh, glucose measurements, you know, just get one of the like precision extra kits that you can get over the counter. And what I found, which is anecdotal, is that uh, sleep made a massive difference and stress also made a massive difference. Yeah, so stress. a lot of times in people that were, you know, kind of borderline type 2 diabetic, their physician really didn't want them to do anything you know, just once we got their sleep and their stress and their HRV scores a little bit better, their overall average of their resting glucose started to to come down pretty nicely, actually. So. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of the micronutrients or herbal type things, like that's like Band-Aid on a bullet wound in a lot of ways because you've got these counter-regulatory hormones, you know, adrenaline and cortisol and stuff are screaming. That's, you're not going to have really good uh, glucose tolerance you know, you know, those kinds of settings, like you said, from poor sleep or overdoing the stimulants or, or what have you. Like I said, coffee is actually, uh, there's a lot of good data that coffee may help. Yeah. That's why I like coffee as the pre-workout stimulant of choice instead of just some really harsh, you know, um, pill or powder. Hydrous caffeine, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But yeah, we could probably revisit that again in the future. Some interesting stuff there. Um, he says, lastly, I wanted to get my greedy pause on the testosterone boosting talk that you mentioned in the mid-show ad. Yeah, I'm happy to send that. Uh, and he just makes a, a comment here that's funny. I'm at the age where it's uh, time to start looking hard at my diet and really uh, eating to allow myself to keep up with my lifestyle. And then he, in caps, he says, I refuse to be one of those kyphotic, out-of-shape, beanpole lawyers that you see all the time. <laughs> uh, and I greatly appreciate what you guys do, et cetera. So this is funny. He's, he's, a, he's a fun guy. So thank you, Neil. Thank uh, you, Neil. Yeah, we may take a, a closer look at some of those things, but um, I'm a little jaded, and it, I think we probably all are. I'm not even going to ask Phil how interested he is in like glucose disposal supplements because he's going to be like, you take oh, those man, with food. your donuts, right, Phil? Yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> that's my stack. <laughs> uh, okay, um, let's get to the last one, and this is a lengthy one from Neil number two. And I don't mean to pigeonhole you guys, but it's just it was so funny. I was I was sort of thanking these guys back and forth and because, you know, they're supporting the show in different ways. And I started getting confused, I think, like, which one am I replying to? Right. So oh, we'll just do this kind of quickly. I'll pick just one or two questions he has. Uh, Iron Radio Brothers. Finally, I became a supporting member after many years of listening. Um, I can't give enough compliments to you guys for the work that you do and what you've done for me and my lifting game. Uh, and I appreciate the listener mail, so I thought I would have a few questions for it, basically, for you to discuss. Uh, do you feel, here's the first one, do you feel that there is a superior red meat to consume? I'm an avid hunter, and I always have a healthy supply of elk, moose, uh, deer, and bear. Wow, for wow. consumption. I rarely eat beef anymore due to the cost and the sourcing of good product. Um, plus, why, what, why would I when I have a huge supply of lean red meats at my disposal? From what I have found uh, or read, it seems to me that elk and buffalo seem to be the most potent red meats. However, bear does offer some interesting benefits due to its fat and iron content. What are your thoughts? Uh, I know I'm a nutritionist, Neil, but 
I haven't really read a ton of things. Um, some on Buffalo, but not really Bear. I mean, not many people. I don't think I've ran into anyone, actually, who regularly eats Bear. Um, obviously, I- I'm going to think, at least, and again, this is just speculation, but i got to think that they're going to be fairly rich in some of the, the usual terrestrial meat you know, characteristics, heme iron, which is like 30 or 40% absorbable instead of like plant iron, which is usually like six or 8% absorbed creatine carnosine, right? Which is a precursor for, um, well, no, I'm sorry. Carnosine, which can be absorbed. Some of it gets destroyed by an enzyme carnosinase, but, um, is a muscle acidity buffer, things like that. A lot of people take beta alanine to try to increase their carnosine, but you can in fact increase carnosine. It's not completely useless just to get it from meats, uh, yeah. B12, you know, there's a lot of uh, good things in terrestrial meats in general. Um, I don't know. I, I don't want to pigeonhole you, Dr. Nelson, but you're from Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> the first time I went up there to teach when I was teaching at Winona, um, Kelly's like, oh, look. And we saw two cars. You know, they have they have like deers bobbing off their front bumpers, you know, like <laughs> hunters coming back. Do you know anything about some of these unusual meats? Elk, deer, bear? um, uh, not that much. I mean, I looked into it uh, a while ago. Uh, we were in uh, Alaska. My uncle lives up there, so we did a lot of halibut fishing several years ago. And you know, he eats uh, mostly moose and other things. He said bear once in a while. Uh, I guess the bears, if you get them after they've been just gorging themselves on blueberries, I guess the meat looks kind of much darker and tastes like completely different. I guess interesting. Uh, probably consumption of everything that's in blueberries, anthracyanides, that kind of stuff. Right, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, in general, when I looked at it, like especially elk, I mean, it's good. You know, it's very lean. Um, my wife is from Montana, so I've been out there several times and had elk. Uh, last time I was in Colorado, friends I was visiting, they used to live in Alaska, so they made me um, the caribou that night. Yeah, caribou and salmon. That was pretty good. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's good. I mean, it, I just did a quick literature scan. The only sort of quote-unquote negative thing I could find, just like any other types of meat, is you know where you get it from is going to matter, especially what's actually in it. Uh, there's one here, 2014, from uh, Noel. talks about grizzly bear hair reveal, uh, reveals toxic exposure to mercury through salmon consumption. So obviously if they're in an area where the salmon got contaminated for whatever reason, then the bears eat all the salmon. It's going to show up in the, the bear meat also. Um, but you, know, you can say that for any type of, of food source. It's not particularly different there. Especially uh, like uh, apex predators, right? That's a problem yeah. like with, with swordfish and big fish like that, right? The accumulation, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but you know, there's some stuff that, you know, the – Fatty acid profile may be a little bit better, you know, like it's in even like grass-fed cows versus conventional, um, but it's not a, you know, a massive difference if you're taking fish oil, you know, probably evens it out. But I mean, I think in a perfect world, the more variety people can get from, you know, a good clean source, I think that's going to be to their benefit. Sounds good. Phil, do you have a freezer full of any kind of interesting meats, deer or um, buffalo, elk, anything like that? No, I mean, the only thing I was going to say, if anything, is just going to be super lean, so you may have to supplement yeah. some fat a bit. <laughs> yeah, it's very lean. Mm, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I just got some deer from a friend. Uh, yeah, and it's it's so lean, it's just straight dry. Uh, yeah, but, deer's you know, very dry. Yeah. We turn a lot of it into sausage, you know, and you, you add fat to it. So. Right on, yeah. But, yeah, you know what? That's a really good question, Neil, and I am going to look. Now I'm curious, right? Yeah, because I'm a, I'm a big carnivore. Yeah, for sure. Didn't you have an article on that pertination way back in the day, Lonnie, about the, the zoo chemicals you can find in meats? Yeah, I, I think that might be the one. It's been years now, but I think T.C. Loma, the editor there, right, of course, he, he renamed it Die Vegan Die or something like oh. that. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, you guys are coloring this too, you know, too much. <laughs> That's not what I said. <laughs> It's like that spot reduction article. I, I was speculating about microdialysis, you know, and oh, how you, yeah. local blood flow changes thing and heat. Yeah, and it just, things just sort of, you know, get colored sometimes. All right, you know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> get some controversy. Uh, I think I'm going to hold some of these other ones because, uh, Neil, you've got some other cool questions here. Um, and th- some are about lifting, some are about nutrition. So we're going to table some of these till next week. 
because I want to ask uh, you guys quickly, as we move into the topic of the day, even before the topic of the day, uh, I wanted to ask about your one or two tips uh, br about breaking into fitness and nutrition media. Uh, you could you could focus mostly on writing if you want. That's sort of the topic today. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves into podcasting and or YouTube and other things, but I guess anything's up for, for grabs. So, Phil, do you – I mean, you work behind the scenes and in front of the, the camera, so to speak, uh, for years. Yep. If you had one or two tips for somebody who was interested in getting into blogging, um, writing for a paper mag, a web mag, anything like that, uh, any tips? The first one would be do it a lot. The best thing I ever did for my writing was I got a position where I was forced to, I had to write an article a week. So oh. I got much better at it. Yeah, <laughs> you <know>? practice. <laughs> do it a lot. Oddly enough, you get better at it. So, I mean, I would just start writing a ton and put it out there for people to see, even if it's on your own blog. You know, I was yeah. in, in a place where I had to do it for somebody else. So it was for sure going to be seen. But uh, you can reach out to your local Nowadays, your newspaper and stuff like that, they're always looking for content for their online stuff. And you won't get anything out of it, but it's going to get out there in people's faces and you're going to get feedback. Um, so that'd be number one. Um, yeah, that's good. Practice. Yeah. I mean, if anything, lifting will teach you is you don't you don't just lay down and start benching 405. You got to practice. <laughs> so um, what about you, Dr. Nelson? I mean, you you still write, you still send stuff I know, and you send inquiries and stuff to like the editors at T Nation, like, hey, do you guys want this? Do you want that? Or you know, you'll oh, yeah. participate in roundtables. Um, what's a gold nugget you might have for somebody who wanted to get into fitness or like sports nutrition writing? Yeah, it, I agree with Phil. Like the biggest thing we were talking about this at the conference here last night again is that just go write and put it out there. I mean, now it's easier than ever. I mean, you don't even need a website. You could just start putting it on Facebook if you want. I mean, you don't need another platform or anything else. Um, I think if I look at anyone in, you know, fitness, especially people who do some online work in fitness that have been around for five or 10 years, and I can't think of an exception where they didn't put out a pretty massive amount of content. You know, and the stuff you put out at first is, oh, I mean, some of the early articles I wrote, I'm like, God, this is so horrible. It's hard to read. <laughs> like when I transferred some, you know, sites in between stuff, I mean, like from Blogger to the other side, I've had three sites. This is my fifth site. In the process, I've probably dumped 80% of the stuff that I wrote just because I didn't want to republish it. I didn't like it anymore. <laughs> um and a lot of stuff I write now is through my newsletter. So a lot of it doesn't even show up in, in public, which is fine and kind of done on purpose. But um, I think just, yeah, just practice, get better. You know, no one's that good when they start. I mean, even now I write stuff and I'm like, no, oh, that was okay. Other stuff, I'm like, God, this is horrible. You know, and that's, it, what's interesting is you you talk to other people who are professional writers, you know, like our friend Lou Schuler, who's, you know, written tons of books and, you know, is a journalist. And even for him, you know, he's like, yeah, I have days where it's, you know, it's much harder to write than other days. You know, and this is a yeah. guy who's done it for decades, you yeah. know. So just like lifting, right? And, you know, some days are just going to be harder than others. Some days are going to be better. And that's just kind of the the process. Um, I mean, probably the single best advice I ever got was uh, from TC at, at TMAG. So years ago, Phil will remember this, like at the, was it the Test Fest conference? Um I was there and I, TC was there and this is like back, God, when was that? Probably 12 years ago maybe. And so I go up to him and I say, hey, TC, I'm Mike Nelson. I said, I, I know everyone's going to ask you this, this question, but I, I have to ask it anyway. And I said, you know, how do I get to be a writer for T Nation? And he asked me, he goes, you know, what do you do? I said, oh, I just started my own you know, business. I'm thinking about going back to, you know, to school. And he looks at me and he goes, eh, give it, you know, two to maybe six years and do something useful and then get back to me. <laughs> <laughs> so experience. And at the time, I was like horrified. I'm like, oh, he's such a big meanie, eh, right, you know. Right. And then I realized I'm like, oh, well, he he's actually right, you know, from the outside looking in at that point. Like, why would anyone publish, you know, especially on that site, anything that I've done to this point? Yep. So, yep. In fast fact, forward six years and then I 
sent him an email. I think I might have got his name from you and said, you may not remember this, but remember the advice you told me. And then, you know, here's what I did in the, the past five right. years. And yeah, they published the article on metabolic flexibility in 2011. <laughs> yeah. So I did what you actually suggested. That's like tough love, right? Yeah, it hurts. But, yeah. you know, an editor, you rather have him be honest than like, yeah, oh, honey, totally. you're fine. Let's, you know. Yeah, they need content and they need good content. And, you know, yeah. Uh, in fact, the um, after the break here, uh, Dr. Cordero, she's actually talking about similar things. So, yeah, good stuff. Okay, um, we're going to wrap it up there and go to break. And then when we come back, we'll have that special interview. And we'll see everyone uh, next week. Yep, see you later. Yeah. Hey, listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you, uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle. Oh, you poor meathead. All that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what. Uh, there is a book available. You could simply Google CRC Press and Lowry. And what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote-unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, there's an enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety, uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that. And uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single-digit royalty on the book. But that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. I can't stop feeling. Some of us don't understand how lucky we are to be living in Hi listeners, this is Rob Fortress Fortney. I'm here to remind you that as the holiday season approaches and your thoughts turn to giving, we like you to keep Iron Rated in your thoughts. Over the past several years, there have been hundreds of listener comments hoping that Iron Radio stays on the air for years to come. Iron Radio is here for you. But as with any public radio-type format, the show is listener-supported. That's where you come in. For just $4 a month, you become a supporting member, keeping your weekly dose of education, experts, and gym talk flowing. Just go to www.ironradio.org and click on the $4 monthly subscribe button near the bottom of the page. Or... Click the Donate button at the right of the page for a one-time donation. You are the Iron Brotherhood and Sisterhood. Of course, not everyone can afford to be a supporting member or a significant one-time donor. But for those of you willing to pitch in $4 per month or $50 just once, we're about to sweeten the deal. Become a supporting member or major donor between now and January, and a limited number of you will receive a gift worth over $20. And we will never forget our existing supporters. Simply email me via ironradio.org and I'll send you a free seminar from Dr. Lowry on how to significantly and realistically boost your testosterone levels. Help your iron brothers and sisters who cannot pitch in but deserve better internet programming in our sports. And happy holidays. Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. But over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. Toward this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Lawnman07 or Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, but if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once per week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes 
and a link to the audio. So go for it. All right, welcome back, everybody. So we are with Daniel Cordero. Cordero. And we're going to talk about getting into fitness writing or nutrition writing. A lot of our listeners are interested in that sort of thing. I put myself through grad school doing some of that stuff. Um, But there's a lot of things to consider. So we're going to start off talking really about the craft of writing. So who better to go to than someone who's an English professor? And so the first thing I think we should probably cover are some definitions. So like... Uh, what are the elements of writing? What are some of the definitions to get the stage set? Yeah. Okay, so some of the things that your uh, your listeners should be thinking about is, um, you know, the craft of writing, which is really about telling stories. So you need to be thinking about, you know, who are the characters in your story, even if you're writing about something like coffee or peanuts or, you know, nutrition, you know, so it seems like there's no characters there, but... Really, the food is kind of like, you know, part of part of the story. So it's like, what do you, how are you going to describe those things so that they come alive and are vivid for readers? If you're talking about researchers, you know, you're going to be, um, you know, people who are doing research on something. You want to not just have flat p- characters. You want to make sure that your audience understands, like, who you're writing about and can envision those those things. They can see them. So that's a big element of the craft of writing is actually like um, getting into um, helping your audience be able to see um, with their inner eye what it is that you are describing. So a lot of times, like in my classes, my creative writing classes, I am always trying to stress to students the necessity of creating an image in the reader's mind. Um, And you might think, oh, that's for poetry, but it's for all writing. Okay, um, all engaging writing, you know, gives the the person reading it uh, a sense of what's happening, and we are primarily visual creatures, um, so images is like sort of the first thing that we start with, but then you can add things in like sound, um, you know, what does it sound like, um, and that requires you to to do some research beyond just what is the science here. Um, so, no. so it's a good idea, and we'll, we'll talk about this maybe a little bit later. Um, if you're researching a subject, get really familiar with it. Like if you're, if you're going to talk about food, eat, eat it. Go and eat it and see what it tastes like. And write notes um, about what does it taste like to you. Is it pasty? Is it chalky? Is it, you know, is it something that is appetizing? How is it appetizing? Um, that's what I mean by making a character out of sort of the things that you are writing about. That makes sense. Yeah, it does. Uh, Chris Shugart, who I mentioned sometimes, he's the editor at Testosterone.com. And early on when I would write stuff, he would say things like, Lowry, tell a story, mm-hmm. right, instead of just lecture. Right. So his whole thing that I remember after all these years was tell a story and offer some actionable gold nuggets like at the end, right? Because mm-hmm. in fitness and nutrition, people – it's hard to do that, right? Because we like to do assessments on people and we don't want anybody to try something stupid and, and this and that. So it's actually a challenge to come up with some of these gold nuggets. Like, so consider this, consider that, you know, right. based on the literature, based on this, but all in the context of a story. Because like you said, without the story, it's a boring ass lecture and nobody wants to listen to it. Right. So that's another element of the, the craft of writing is telling us telling a story. So all good stories have a beginning, a middle and an end, right? Um, and so it's not, you're not going to start with once upon a time, but make sure that you're abiding by the old new contract. It's what we call in, um, in technical writing. So old information comes first for the reader. That is something that you can forget about when um, you are kind of immersed in a subject and it all just sort of seems equally important to you or equally on the same level. Um, think about creating a narrative for your for the person who's reading it and maybe has no background on what it is that you're talking about. So start with old information first before you introduce new information and you have to be able to think about um, you know an ideal reader when you're when you're thinking about what's old for them. Does that make sense? Like so who is the person that you picture when you picture someone reading this piece? Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay, no, that does make sense. All right, so let me get to the next question here. Um, 
if we have someone who's never published anything before and they're thinking about, uh, I don't want to get too much into all different types of media and that sort of thing, but they haven't published anything before. They want to get started essentially. And, you know, talking about writing about sports nutrition or fitness or whatever, uh, do you have any tips for them to get started? Yes. Okay. So if you, let's say that you're a writer and you, you are a big fan of a certain magazine, you want to write for them. That's great. That's a good start. So become a fan or start reading particular publications that you are interested in being published in. Um, first of all, it kind of gives you just a, like a sense of what is what are the types of things that this magazine publishes. And it also gives you a sense of how long are certain things that are in the magazine. So there might be features that are much, much longer. There might be shorter things that may be a good start for you, like reviews, for example. I started, when I started writing in my field, even though I'm a writing person, I started with writing reviews of books that had just come out in the field because those were short um, and I could sort of cut my teeth on that. It was like not the editor. The editor wasn't always on my butt trying to get, you know, every single little thing, you know, dialed out. It's also kind of considered to be like a really good service thing to do um, for the field. Um, so book reviews are great or, you know, reviews of anything, really, products, you know, things like that are, are great ways to get started because they tend to be shorter. Then when you sort of get a little bit more confidence, you can, you can move on up. You can also, um, one of the best things to do if you're hoping to get published in a particular journal or magazine or whatever, contact the, the editor and say, hey, you know, I, I am looking to start. I would like to publish something. Here's some of my ideas. That's actually called a query. Um, and there's like, if you want to get online and see what a query should look like, there are lots of sources. Oh. Um, I believe the Purdue Owl has some uh, business writing stuff that might be helpful to your um, to your uh, uh, listeners on that. But yeah, I mean, the, the the secret is to read a lot about read a lot in in places where you want to be published, and that will help you sort of get like a you know you won't have to know anything specifically. You'll just kind of absorb it. Um, right. what, what that magazine tends to publish. Yeah, that echoes a lot. And I think listeners have heard us talk for years about, like, if you want to compete, and you, you want to enter a certain competition, go the year before, look at the field, like, mm-hmm. hey, I think I can take those guys. Right. Or, oh my gosh, that's out of my league. It's sort of like that. Like, know what's there first before you jump in the deep end. Yeah, right? exactly. And it's, and it's actually not as hard as you think. Also, read the, read the masthead. I mean, that tells you exactly what that journal or magazine is interested in. Um, and that usually can be found, you know, on the first page or two if there is one. Um, but you know, some of them don't have a masthead, uh, and you have to call, or you have to call or email or something, and, and kind of, you know, email is usually the best way. So you mentioned reviews. So let's say we have some listeners; they want to start writing reviews. Like you could probably do reviews just of protein powders or right. dietary supplements or something. So if they want to do something like that, in your opinion, that actually submit it somewhere, not just blog it themselves or something. That's an easier, that's a lower barrier to entry, maybe reviews? I, I think, I mean, you know, I don't know much, unfortunately, about this specific world, but in publishing in general, especially if you're talking about magazines, um, it tends to be easier to get in with something shorter um, and that is like, oh, oh, and something current. So if something is like breaking, like it just came out, those are things that um, are tend to be more highly valued than reviewing something that's been out for a few years, unless you have sort of an angle where it's like, I'm going to look at how you know this older thing sort of matches up with this newer thing, and that's not really a review. That's more like you know that could be a feature where you're you're looking at you know comparing two products or comparing like three products or or whatever. So, but a review of a single thing, whether it's a whether it's a book on nutrition, whether it's like you know, um, a specific product. Those are things that, you know, you, you that should be fairly low, low bar um, as, by comparison with other things. Because the magazine needs those things. Um, those are things that they, that they, that their readers go immediately and look at that and say, is that going to be worth my time? So it's a really good, it's really good. I think, it, I think people really appreciate it. It's not going to make you famous, right away <laughs> yeah um but it will definitely get you in the door at the magazine which is what you want you want to start building um basically a, a, a portfolio of things that you've written so that you can go and say hey 
that you know maybe the third time you're trying to write something you can say to the person you know that you can say to um, the editor hey I've written these three things already check them out or link to them or whatever and that helps you um, become more credible as a writer right no yeah that makes sense I mean we have some some of our listeners are they're highly educated guys and they could walk in on fairly you know advanced topics if they wanted to do that kind of stuff like value add to what they're doing but I can see what you're saying like if something's timely it's breaking news or something like that or even like on the review front I like what you said about immersing yourself in it first. Like, if you're going to review a protein powder, don't just look at the label and say, oh, look, they're nitrogen spiking, that protein grams, that's artificially inflated because they put a bunch of junk in here that's not good protein. But actually go taste it, go try it, buy it yourself. In in the fitness world, you could do that with training programs. I like what you said about books. Mm -hmm. I mean, for all of the critique that dietary supplements get as sort of a scam, and oftentimes many of them are, uh, they're, of course, legitimate ones, and our listeners are pretty familiar with which ones are, but books are another potential scam market. So, I mean, you could reviewing books could be very valuable or a training program. Like if you join a particular system of one type or another, I mean, like CrossFit is so big now, you know, you could talk about your experience in a CrossFit box somewhere, you know, or you visited somewhere. Um, I like the review stuff, especially yeah. of, of existing, yeah, like books and stuff like that or products. Yeah, Books, books is great because it gives you a ton of stuff to talk about. Okay, uh, last up, so in a Web 2.0 world, it seems like everyone publishes, um, and we've bellyached on the podcast before, long-time listeners know this, about how editors used to be gatekeepers, right? And you didn't see a bunch of junk, uh, and I'm really down on YouTube lately. There's a lot of stuff, you know, some guy or gal wins the genetic lottery and says, look at me, so do what I do, you know, and we always try to fault we fault that stuff. But in any case, so we live in this self-publishing kind of thing, whether it's YouTube or podcasts or blogs or whatever. And we don't have – in some ways, I like the idea of the freedom that people can you know, talk about their own experiences and that sort of thing. But in fitness and nutrition, it's like everyone is an expert, you know. And so we've lost that gatekeeper role of the editors and that kind of thing. But So if someone does want to start providing content – Mm-hmm. for people to consume, you know, to read. Um, what can they do to sort of ensure quality or, you know, if they're they're just starting out, they might think, I, I'm not sure I know quite enough. You know, I don't, I'm not a doctor of this or that. You know, should I be writing about something? What can they do to produce good stuff? Yeah, I mean, let's talk about blogging for a second because I think that's how a lot of people think I'm going to quickly get something out there and, you know, and, it, and it's not wrong. Like, say, you know, you... you you know, if you if you link to your blog, you're wanting to get published in a magazine. You're wanting to maybe publish a, a book with a publisher. Having a really good blog is a great way to sort of show off what you can do. So it's not necessarily um, a bad thing to do. But you're right; it is sort of the wild west in the sense that like nobody is gonna come. You know, your English teacher from from tenth grade is not gonna come knocking on your door saying. Why is this uh, modifier dangling, you know? Um, So you have to, you you know, you have to take some of that onto yourself or, you know, um, you have to take responsibility for having it done. And and a lot of people don't do that, but, you know, there are people available that you can can hire who uh, will proofread your work. Um, There's different levels of editing. I mean, it probably for blogging because you want to get it out there fast. You want to learn how to do a lot of this stuff yourself. So it might be a good idea if you're worried about like your style, you know, and, and you want to make sure that you are writing well, like that's that's one of your concerns. Um, you know, take a writing class. Um, go to a go to a community college if you're not in school and take a really, you know, take a, a writing class. You know, it's interesting that w- when I talk about quality, your default is sentence structure or something like that and mine's always content right right? like I I think about like is the physiology right did are they explaining that wrong so it's funny to see the sort of different biases right and they're both true right right? if the English is poor nobody can read that for very long and if the physiology is poor the nutrition is bad advice people are going to tune you out for that too yeah you know yeah I mean uh both things are good to do it realize that you're working in a medium Right. And if the, if what you're talking about is writing, that's the medium. So, you know, you're going to want to know something about why, you know, what works in, in the world of writing before you take on a huge writing project like a blog. That's enormous. 
Um, if you're blogging, you should be updating your blog, you know, on a regular schedule. It doesn't have to be weekly. I think people think they need to write a blog every week. That's a lot. I mean, that would be a lot for someone who, who likes writing and, you know, is not threatened by it. You know, that, so that's an interesting point because that's one of the reasons we started Iron Radio like nine years ago was I was writing for magazines and I got to the point where I could crank something out within an afternoon, but we can do Iron Radio with almost no prep. We've been very transparent with everybody about this, right? So, <laughs> so it's, it is every week. So when Phil and I were like, listen, number one rule, never miss a week. Right, so I understand that you're saying you don't have to do it like that, but at least then people know it's coming on a regular basis. There's a couple of web comics that I actually stole the idea from, where people said, you know, you just do a web comic. What set you apart? Because these guys blew up, and now they do events and they yeah. do all this stuff and revenue generating stuff. And they said, well, consistency. We wanted to do this every single week, no matter what, and that's why we haven't missed a week in nine years. Yeah, it's 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 really important to be regular, even if it's even if like you update twice a month or something. That's fine. Just make sure that you're doing it on a, on a fairly regular schedule because you're trying to connect with an audience. But back to your point about like, what do you do without an editor, right? I mean, I just, th I thought of the writing side, but if you're talking about like the, um, the research side and making sure that like, you know, you're using good sources, that has to do with doing your own research well. And I think part of the problem with, I mean, this is something we talk about, we're both professors, we talk about this with our students all the time, that they want to rely on like, this blog, another blog that they read as, as like evidence, as evidence yeah. or as actual real research. Um, you can't, that's just the truth. Like if you want to be taken seriously in this world, um, you should be using credible, good sources. And it's on you as the writer, because you don't have an editor and you don't have a fact checker behind you to be responsible for that. And one way to sort of get good at that, you know, because it's kind of a, it's kind of a skill that you have to develop is get really critical about the things that you read. Okay. So like your favorite blog, your favorite magazine, you know, look at how sources are being documented and ask yourself if you think that that's good evidence. I know that, that, you know, if you're, if you're bothering to do a blog, that should be questioned. Those should be questions that you're asking. Does that make sense? And if you're starting with review articles, like we talked about, if you're looking to get into print magazines or even online magazines that are, that do have editors and do have a reputation and yada, yada, you know, that it might be better almost to start with publishing with a publisher for a couple times because you will get thoroughly edited. You will start to see some of the things that you do that maybe you would want to take care of before you start your own self-publishing venture. Yeah. A, a lot of what you're saying is, and listeners that have been around since the beginning, they remember Fortress. I mean, Rob, he was the managing editor at the magazines where I was the science editor. So he would ride me like, Lonnie, I need this by midnight at the very latest. It's got to go, you know, into the layout. And he would, so timing wise, but also some of the other stuff, like he would tear apart my, I don't know, sentence structure. You know, he, it was his role in a lot of this kind of, um, in a sense, I felt spoiled because I I had like an inside line to a lot of what you're saying. Like when you get someone to look at your stuff and uh, whether it's meeting a consistent deadline or just the quality of it in general, practice actually with a published, you know, sending stuff to an editor a few times. Yeah. And, that, and I had that through Rob all the time. And I'll tell you, he was um, a harsh master with that stuff, you know, yeah. like, you know, and, and, but, and, and it's hard. It's, and, and you know what too, it's, I've always found it's hard to edit yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, like if I do, if I do straight up science writing and I have something that's 600 words, it has to be under 300 words, like as an abstract to submit it or something that's painful. Mm -hmm. Right. So people, when you reduce your stuff down, it, that can be very hard. Yeah. That, that's a, that's a good exercise to do. I mean, uh, you probably remember this from school, S start with a first draft and write a lot and then go back and try to cut it. And it's a good exercise. Like, uh, okay, so if you wrote uh, a thousand words on something just to get a draft out, try to get that down to 500 words and see where you are. Um, if you're interested in learning like some good techniques for doing that, um, uh, one of the one of the really helpful um, I mentioned it before. One of the really helpful online resources is the Purdue Owl. Um, it, you know, I know that scientists are kind of like stuck in the passive voice, for example, um, and if you don't know what the passive voice is. It's, it is basically when you take an active verb and, and you, um, you add a form of is before it, 
um, and then uh, past participle, past past tense of a word but next to it. So, you know, the lamp was broken. Okay, by who, right? Um, and that you'd be amazed at how much longer and more convoluted sentences like that make your writing. Um, there's actually something called the paramedic method. Um, it's explained on the Purdue OWL. Um, just Google OWL. It comes up before the bird, um, which kind of shows you, um, if you look on Google, um, you know, that this is a source that is used by a lot of people. Um, it's, it's a really great writing resource. Um, if you're struggling with, um, uh, you know, you're writing something for um, maybe not a magazine, but a journal, and you've never used a particular style like um, APA or MLA, or you won't be using MLA, but maybe Chicago style potentially, um, it has got tons of resources on there for that. Tons of grammar resources. Um, so don't be a don't be a dummy. Basically, go and educate yourself and recognize that like you know writing is not just this invisible thing. Just because you know how to write words doesn't mean that you know everything you know that you might need to know in order to be an effective writer. No, yeah, that makes sense a lot. And you know what, too, I uh, because we're going to tackle this across maybe a couple of episodes, not too many. I know some people are like, hey, back to the barbells, Lowry, but and that's fine, uh, but. A lot of people do want to get into writing or, again, when we talk about Web 2.0 and immersing people in a story, I mean, we do audio for a reason, right? It's faster. We do it with almost no prep, and we can do things like occasionally you'll hear us layer in ambient sounds or a funny, a funny like a news uh, bumper that we use or something like that or um, – a joke, something that's just sort of funny audio and stuff like that. So, it, like, I like what you said about working within a medium mm-hmm. because writing is one, but audio and video are others. And I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. Yeah, I think we'll we talk get... about that later. Okay. Uh, well, good stuff. All right. So that's going to be it for this week. And again, for people who are interested in uh, fitness writing, uh, nutrition writing, that sort of thing, I don't want to get into some of the gory science side of this, like, you know, what constitutes good evidence. Like, you know, there's a difference between professional opinion uh, or, or certainly lay opinion and some type of controlled double-blind trial, you know, that's cause and effect in, in nature and, and that sort of thing. So uh, it does help, uh, like you said, when you when you explore something yourself, obviously if you've got a bachelor's degree or you have a lot of experience, both these things are are ways to educate yourself on a topic, right? So we've always championed formal education, but also years of experience. I mean, listeners know that uh, Phil, he's been all over the world in an apprenticeship model with all kinds of people. I mean, he has a master's degree. Um, a lot of people know that it's actually in fine art. It's not in strength conditioning, right? So, so he's sort of renaissance guy, but he's highly educated uh, about his craft because of all the people that he's worked under so um, in any case i don't want to ramble on but thanks for tuning in this week we're going to follow up with dr cordero again in the future uh with with some other things if you want to break into you know the media world of one form or another when it comes to sharing um information or stories about fitness and nutrition see you later Hey listeners, have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store. One for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry, and they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store. Uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, The stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org 
And um, let us know what you think on the forums, and certainly you can request products, and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.